Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm the ringer of church bells. And I just opened Pandora's box. <laughs> Welcome to episode 254, Slamboree 1997. The tradition continues. But does it have to? Yeah. I mean, what was the tradition that they I don't know. In this show? I guess just that it's another slamboree. I that's guess. The old, that's the only thing <laughs> yeah. I think. But if that's the case, you could say that for most pay-per-views. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, WCW is but, I mean, a little less consistent. The ones the- that you say it on, it kind of sets up the expectation of the show. Because, I mean, Halloween Havoc, the tradition continues. Because there haven't been very many good ones of them. Yeah, it's like with Starcade, it makes more sense because that's like the premiere show. I mean, Slamboree used to be the show that they did the, the Hall, Hall of Fame, Fame. Yeah. thing. Mm. So if they did the Hall of Fame thing here, it makes then, sense. But the tradition no longer continues. But uh, the Hall of Fame tradition <laughs> continues on a show starring mostly football players. Oh. Okay. There's only a couple. At least three. Maybe a couple too many, past and present. So this was the fifth Slamboree produced by the WCW. It would take place on May 18th, 1997 from the Independence Arena in Charlotte, North Carolina with an attendance of 9,643 people. You know where we are. Flare country. Flare country. Hardcore flare country, even. Mm -hmm. Good place for him to make his return. You'd think so. Very true. Maybe it's the tradition of flare making returns. I don't know. I didn't look it up. <laughs> or him being in Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. But we are in Charlotte, North Carolina. We are, we are. So Shane, did you do what you do? I did. Yes, we are in Charlotte, North Carolina. Slamboree, 1997. So yes, I did what I do where I hopped on the old interwebs and said, what the fuck do people in Charlotte eat? What do people in North Carolina like to eat, drink, etc.? And I came upon a, a long list of items that we've we've come through Charlotte a couple of times already, so we've had more than a few items from here. But uh, one of the things that jumped out at me, because all of us currently, formerly, at some point in time, have been burger folks, I noticed a shrimp burger on the list, and I thought, all right, they're just going to take, you know, Bunch of shrimp, grind it up, make it into a patty. Doesn't sound very appetizing, but you know, it's. No. It does not sound delicious at all. Uh-uh. And I worked at a spot once we had to grind up like Pollock and turn it into a patty, and it was, <laughs> it was so, so gross. And it's like, mm. it's like, why would you make us do this? No one's going to buy it. Yeah, I. Let me pull up the picture here just so I can show you guys, because this is what like grabbed my attention and said, okay, yeah, let's do this. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, it looked very appetizing. Yeah. So, it's a uh, shrimp burger. is It's kind of a play on a po' boy. Only instead of it being on a like a hoagie type of roll, it's served on a 
a burger or sandwich bun. I went to Walmart, got some of their just deli hamburger buns that aren't even sliced. You have to cut them yourself. I mean, the hamburger bun is great. Yeah. <laughs> I was it's, like, oh, this is nice. It's simple. It's got a good bite. Yeah, it's got a good bite. It's got a good chew. It's not overpowering in flavor. It's not all done up with, you know, sesame seeds and whatnot. It's just your basic bitch bun. Yeah, but um, I mean, it's a, I'm, the bun I was a fan of. Yeah, it, uh, it can hold up nicely. And the, since they're not cut, you can cut them to kind of hold things a little bit more securely instead of just being fully sliced around. Yeah, kind of, I cut it kind of pita style in a way. I kind of made it a a slamboree, if you will, of, I had to stop at a few different places just to put this thing together. I was going to say it's a slamboree of carbohydrates. Yeah, a slamboree of carbohydrates, a slamboree of uh, (laughs) call-in orders, a slamboree of pickup windows. So we started at Walmart. Went across the street to uh, Old Raisin Cane's and got some of their coleslaw because it calls for coleslaw. Uh, while uh, I was at Walmart, I also grabbed some spicy ketchup because mm-hmm. if you have the option of regular ketchup and spicy ketchup, why the hell would you choose regular when they're spicy? So I grabbed a bottle of the Whataburger spicy ketchup because, you know, why not add another fast food restaurant type option to the mix? And then I called in a uh, an order for a popcorn shrimp basket from my friends down at Cajun Corner. And uh, we concocted this little shrimp burger, which, long story short, is a hamburger bun that is just loaded with popcorn shrimp. It's got some tartar sauce, it has the coleslaw, and then it has the spicy ketchup on there, all in all, vis-a-vis, whatever the hell you want to call it, a la peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We've got ourselves a shrimp burger that's kind of a a play on a po' boy. Uh, a a poorer boy, if you will. Uh, um, that's poorer. but uh pretty pretty solid yeah um it's got some good flavor they i'm kind of wishing i would have got the the cajun slaw from cajun corner but i figure we're not really in cajun country so we're just gonna get some popcorn shrimp try traditional (laughs) north carolina exactly some shrimp popped it in the air fryer to kind of crisp it up a little bit since it got a little sagafied on the drive over in the in the to-go boxes but yeah i'm not mad about it I probably could have stuffed a little more shrimp in here had there been a little more shrimp, but... I mean, each one of these sandwiches probably had enough shrimp. I had one shrimp for every wrestler on the show. Fuck yeah. Plus three football players. <laughs> so, I'm going to do as I do and take a bite on the microphone. It's not going to make any noise, really, because yeah, it's already crunch. halfway through, but here we go. Oh, disgusting. What a foul sound. But what a great taste. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, something that would happen right around the same time as Slamory, Coach, Roseanne, and Wings would all air their final episodes. Did either of you, any of you watch the final episodes of these as they aired? I did not. I probably watched Roseanne and Wings. I might have watched Coach as well, just because it was... You know, with it being its final episode, I might have watched it. To me, <clears throat> as a kid, Coach was just... Coach and Wings were just kind of on in, like, the weird afternoon a portion of Sundays. Just, like, on television. So I never watched much, uh, much of them. I don't have... Couldn't name any of the characters. Tuesday I know, nights, man. I know Coach, but uh, that's about it. <clears throat> I'm trying to remember. Coach was, like, Mondays or Wednesdays, I think, maybe Tuesdays. I want to say Wings was Tuesdays, and for a little bit there, Thursdays. I was a, a huge Wings fan. 
or I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I loved loved Cheers, loved Frasier. Wings was kind of another spinoff in the the Cheers Frasier universe. From? I mean, it's it's made by the creators of Cheers, and oh. eventually they had where a flight took place, and Norm and uh, Cliff Ratzenberg came through. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, they had a a little it's bit like of a crossover, a crossover but same universe. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I should give Wings a shot sometime. Maybe, I mean, Coach, I just remember it's like, oh, it all takes place in an office. <laughs> like, I feel like there was one, it's like, they're not spending any money on the show. What's the deal? Then you had, what's her name, Mona from <laughs> Who's the Boss on there. Old Dauber. Wings, you had, oh, what the hell are their names? Brian and... Joe. Joe, that's right. You had Helen, you had Lowell, you had Roy... You had it's all going right over my head. the little old lady at the counter. Oh, what the hell was her name? Faye. Faye, that's right. Oh, Faye, she goes all the way. Yeah, you had the the beginnings of Tony Shalhoub on there as Antonio, the cab driver. Uh-huh. So, he, I wasn't, mean, he wasn't a cast member until season three. Right. How many, like how long did, because Coach and Wings didn't go as long Wings as... Wings went like ten seasons. No way. Yeah. Roseanne is <clears throat> went nine, and it started in like eighty eight. Mm-hmm. Coach was two hundred episodes. Wings was one hundred and seventy two episodes. Yeah, wrong. Maybe they only went like eight seasons, but I swore they went. Closer still, to 10. that's still you know that's that's what everybody wants with a sitcom. The goal is to make it into one hundred episodes. Yeah. So they went well past that. Oh yeah, old Joe on the show there. I had a, a somewhat of a crush on old. Tim Daly. Um, Is he the guy with the? With he was the like the the straight laced. You were a Tim brother. Daly guy, not a Stephen Weber. I like the character of Brian, but Joe was more attractive to me. Okay. Doesn't the guy with the long, with the like kind of medium length hair? Does I remember he has nice eyes, doesn't he? <laughs> or my I, I haven't I don't remember much about wings, but I'm picturing that guy, right? Yeah. He's kind Stephen of the Weber hair. was a fun guy. Was he the funny guy? Yeah, you had. I mean, they're all. "Quote unquote," the funny guy, but yeah, of the brothers, he's, he's the, the goofy one. Yeah, he's the whatever the the not straight laced odd couple guy was. I just remember watching whenever the wine uh, sideways. Oh yeah, when sideways came out and Thomas Hayden Church is in that movie, I'm just like, why is the dumb guy from Wings in this movie? I'm like, when did he become a good actor? Yeah, like, you just because he was just the dumb guy in Wings. That's all you know him as for forever. Yeah, Steve Weber kind of looks like he could be like John Stewart's brother. I can see that. But then, yeah, I was a, a huge Roseanne fan, and my family is a a big follower of the old Roseanne show. She kind of went off the rails there you know, years later, but I'm currently re- watching it. As a kid, I didn't watch it much. Parents couldn't stand Roseanne Barr, so if it was on, they just changed the channel. So, like, it's like, oh, if they liked her, I probably would have watched it more. So, I think it influenced me to change the channel. But I think I'm up to season. I, I'm recently into Becky, too. Okay. Or maybe, Second like, Becky. yeah, like maybe through the majority of the season of Becky, too. And I miss Crystal. Yeah. She pops back up a little time. bit, yeah. But like, it's like, oh, I kind of it's it's one of the things like it's still good, but I kind of the miss same thing when they had the yeah. uh, the reboot all those years later, and that was one of the things I thought was, oh, I wonder if like 
Crystal and all these people are going to be on there, and then Crystal pops up on the screen, and it's like, oh, I wish they kind of would have left her. Oh, I like <laughs> Crystal. <laughs> I mean, especially, like, in the earlier stuff when she's, like, more a part of yes. it or whatever. But it becomes, it's like, all right, well, they add more characters, and you can't focus on everybody. And yeah. she was never particularly important, but she was a, a great, like, first phase character. Oh, yeah. Especially because the kids were younger, so they weren't as, like, fun or funny in the earlier seasons and crystal was yeah wonderful yeah see like my sister and brother-in-law were always roseanne and dan as far as the lineup in the family my niece kalina was very darlene-ish i was kind of the for lack of another real male character on the show i was the aunt jackie (laughs) i can't imagine you to be uh as dramatic and of a pain in the ass jane (laughs) because she is such a pain in the ass yes but, um... No, I was more of the Aunt Jackie in the bathtub with the bag of weed. Oh, uh, okay. Cool. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I watched... I watched it holds the up really last well. episodes of Wings, the last episodes of Roseanne. Coach, I still need to watch that entire series all the way through. Even back then, before streaming was a thing, that was kind of a thing for me, is I don't want to start a show because I don't know what has happened, and... You miss out. I'll wait for you know the reruns to to play and try and catch up. Then coach, I know that he goes to work for like an NFL expansion team, so it kind of they kind of change locales. Um, yeah, from being like the, the last college. two seasons of Laverne and Shirley, they go to LA. Shirley leaves, and then it's like, well, okay, well, why was the show still happening? Auburn, but yeah, it's most things go outstay their welcome. But they typically tie it up well. Like, Cheers went on maybe a little long, but it stayed good. But the last episode of Cheers is wonderful. Oh, yeah. They typically tie it up pretty good. Yeah. And if they don't, then they piss a whole lot of people off. <laughs> yeah. It ruins everyone's perspective of the entire show. Yeah, I think that I still, like, not a staunch defender, but I'm like... Guys, the last couple seasons, Seinfeld weren't that great in the first place. They kind of lost the plot after Larry David left. But I don't think that the last episode is the worst thing that ever happened. Yeah. I mean, when you have continuous storylines of, you know, the death of George's fiance, a show about nothing kind of becomes a show about something. (laughs) Yeah. And that kind of kills it. And they all kind of get what they deserve. They end up in jail. They're all fucking shitheads. That's the point of the show. Yep. I always wanted for that show, just for them to do... One more episode one year later of when they were released just to <laughs> fuck with everybody. Yeah. Like, all right, we're back for another 12. Yeah, it would have cost so much money. It would have cost the amount of Titanic to get them <laughs> to get back together. They didn't have a season of Seinfeld. I know. It's honestly. called Curb Your Enthusiasm Season 7. Yeah. Mm. I mean, so I've never watched Curb Your Enthusiasm. What a show. What a goddamn show. That's what I've heard. That's another show that just like... Oh, this is the last season, and then like three years later, he's like, oh, I got a few more ideas. Of yeah, this yeah. It's like he only puts one out whenever he's like inspired by to do something and yeah. has a good idea, so it's really consistently good because he's not forced to do it. They're like, we'll take as much of it as you want to give us, but he's Larry David, so he only does it when he actually wants to do it, so that means that it's good. Well, let's find out if Slammery can be... Good. <laughs> Good. Is there a slamboree that comes to mind when you think of slamboree? Because I don't have one. I mean, I just <coughs> automatically think of the Legends matches, basically, anytime I think of slamboree. Same, but I can't think of a specific, like, that year was a good one. I remember the Legends matches, but that's because they were so 
unnecessary and stilted. Ah, the tradition continues. Yeah. Can't remember any match. At least Halloween <laughs> Havoc, it's like everybody remembers Spin the Wheel. But Slamboree just kind of feels like uh, right over, yeah, just dust it right off your shoulder and keep it moving. But maybe this one has some staying power. So it opens up on highlights of competitors with narration. NFL All-Pros are stepping off the gridiron and into WCW's black and blue division. It's all about respect and tradition when WCW faces the NWO with the help of a wild card, Kevin Green. The NWO is on a campaign to replace honor with disgrace. And then Tony Schiavone welcomes us to the show, joined by Dusty Rhodes and Bobby the Brain Heenan. They preview the matches that we will see tonight, where Dusty calls the NWO seeping sewage, telling them to never toss tradition out the window, before mumbling something that sounded like, what a time for dictation to take a hole. Yep, it sounds about right. Just kind of... It's you know, Dusty. Uh, <laughs> I noted the set was kind of, it was a, a nicer looking set. I don't know. The set looked nice. Of course, the Slamboree logo is pretty classy, but, uh, yeah. WCW has changed up their set a bunch over the years. This one uh, no, didn't, try look, something different. didn't look too shabby. So we go to our first match. Steven Regal. Yeah, yeah. Not versus, Lord. Not Lord. Versus Ultimo Dragon. Not Ultimate. With Sonny Ono for the WCW World Television Championship. So... Ultimo had defeated Prince Iakea a few weeks ago on TV after Regal had injured the champ. So that's why Dragon has the belt now instead of him. No complaints here. No. Mike today joins the crew for this match. Of course, if there's a Mexican or a Japanese man in the rain, Mike today is joining the commentary. <laughs> And our two competitors trade wrist locks in different holds when Steven hits a gut wrench slam for a two count. Dragon responds with a drop kick but then runs into a big boot and an uppercut from Regal, only to drop toe hold Steven when he charges in, before locking on a half crab, forcing Regal to make the ropes. And the crowd's pretty hot for his first match. We are in Charlotte, I guess. It's a wrestling town. Yep. Ultimo hits a swinging neckbreaker, but Steven fires back with kicks across the back and head to send Dragon rolling out to the floor to regroup. And Regal delivers a vertical suplex for a two count, goes for a full Nelson, only for Ultimo to reverse into one of his own, which Steven escapes from to send Dragon running the ropes, with Regal telegraphing a back body drop. Don't do it! And Ultimo nails a sunset flip for a near fall. And Steven tries to respond by locking on a regal stretch, but Dragon is in the ropes. And the two men continue to go for submission holds, such as a cross arm breaker, bow and arrow, an Indian death lock, and a camel clutch, until Ultimo drop kicks Steven out of the ring. And Ono kicks Regal in the chest, which makes Dragon unhappy about the interference, before they roll back in for a handspring back elbow in a corner followed by a top-rope Huracarana for a two-count. I was surprised with uh, Ono's kicks. They're better than I would have expected. <laughs> He's a black belt, though. I know, but just I've never really seen him do much. It's a karate master. Yeah. I'm sorry for underestimating him. 
Oh no, you didn't. <laughs> I mean, it was, that was coming. It was right there. It was right there. <laughs> Ultimo heads back up for a moonsault. Steven moves in time and applies the regal stretch again, forcing Dragon to make the ropes. And after a whip, Ultimo telegraphs a back body drop. So Steven goes for a double underhook powerbomb, only for Dragon to counter into a hurricanrana for a near fall. And Regal comes back with an inside cradle for a two count before hitting several uppercuts until Ultimo responds with a spinning heel kick and rolling Steven up with a law magistrale, only for them to be in the ropes for a break. I like how he says it, though. La magistrale. <laughs> it's Tanay. He's a classy man. Yep. Dragon keeps up the attack with a cobrada and an attempted tiger suplex, only for Regal to mule kick to escape and grab a waist lock of his own. Ultimo falls forward to use his momentum to send Steven out to the floor. Dragon then hits a drop kick through the ropes before returning to the ring to hit a slingshot crossbody. But Regal avoids and looks to whip Ultimo, only for it to be reversed, sending Steven into a guardrail. Did you guys start just chanting Joe whenever Steven just walked away? Because I did. Joe, 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 just in my head. I'm not a crazy person. Dragon then delivers an ACI moonsault out onto Regal, followed by Sonny coming over to get some more kicks in, only for Ultimo to shove Ono away. He's had enough. Dragon rolls Steven in, but then Sonny kicks Ultimo in the back. Motherfucker. Followed by Regal kicking him from inside the ring. And they roll him back in where Steven nails a, a Dragon sleeper suplex before locking on the Regal stretch for the submission and, and the win. And new! Post-match, Steven gets a few more stomps in while celebrating his win. I mean, great way to start a show. Yes. And the added element of Sonny Ono cheating and Old Mo Dragon not liking that was, uh, you know, it's wrestling. It happens in threes. First time, it's a look. Second time, he jaws at him. Third time, kicked in the back. yeah. Third time you get, <laughs> third time you're losing, buddy. But uh, yeah, it was great. The crowd was hot, and normally a match like this would be a lot quicker. This one, they let the whole thing play out and had a pay-per-view quality match. Also, I loved. I think it's early in the match. Steven Regal has um, Ultimo Dragon like flat on the mat, and he just like walks over him. As a sign of disrespect, and uh, the crowd loved it, as did I. 90s Regal was just perfect. Yeah. No complaints here. Yep. So we go to our second match. Luna Vachon versus Medusa. And Lee Marshall, our resident women's expert, (laughs) joins the booth for this match. Obviously. Yeah, he might be an expert, but I don't know if this is true or it's already happened, but... Did Medusa get even larger breasts since the last time we saw her? Because, oh, oh, yeah, homegirl, homegirl was stacked. And I was like, I don't remember him being that big. I kind of thought that just because they showed her from the side and they just looked like there was a whole lot more side boob than I was used to. Yeah, but, maybe, yeah, maybe it was wore, just a smaller... Uh, she wore tighter fitting things in, in WWF. So she had that kind of full Sandman style... Surf suit that uh, yeah. she used to wear back there, so now she's able to show curves and cleavage and, and <laughs> I was just like, to compete like, damn. with to compete with Luna. 
<laughs> so Tony tells us that an announcement that Medusa had defeated Hokuto in Japan had been made. But Sonny Ono was contesting it as there was no footage of this supposed title change. So, therefore, this match is not for the belt. Hmm. I mean, you figure it just... Well, I guess you didn't really know who won then. Never mind. I was like, just scratch that match and take it off of both of them, and whoever wins this one wins. But, meh. So Vashon attacks with double axe handles and hair pulls before resorting to rakes of the eyes and chokes. She's nasty. Medusa answers with a heel kick, but Luna goes right back to choking until she applies a stomach claw. I mean, come on, guys. Stomach claw? I'm going to tear out your insides. It's it's pretty <laughs> funny. I mean, at least um, uh, Medusa, has, yeah, Medusa has abs, so it's like, well, it's kind of my rule with the trap hole. It's like, you got to have traps, and Medusa does have abs, so logically, but it's still very funny. It looks like she's just, like... Tickling a child. You figure, you know, if you have abs and you're somebody doing a stomach claw on you, that it would hurt them instead of you because your stomach is so strong. Yeah. But if this was a comedy match, she would uh, flex and Luna would fly off. Exactly. <laughs> Still, Jerry Ryan's bit. I'm pretty sure we can <laughs> take 27 years early. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we can take whatever we like from that man at this point. As if the world hasn't taken enough from. Him. So Medusa rallies with corner splashes, chops, and kicks before a vicious clothesline of a Sean for a two-count. And Luna gets face-planted, but another rake of the eyes slows the momentum. But Vashon telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Medusa to go for a sunset flip, only for Luna to just sit down on the shoulders for a near fall. Vashon with more hair pull takedowns and a neck breaker, before heading up top to fly off with a splash. But Medusa moves in time and delivers a German suplex for the pin. And, and the, the win. win. Post-match, Medusa rips her vest off and waves it around to the crowd as Marshall calls her the future of women's wrestling. Well, you're going to need more than the occasional Akira Hokuto and Luna Vachon to show up in your promotion for that to be even possible. But we're all pro Medusa here. I like that. Uh, love uh, Medusa's uh, pat of Luna before she gets up. She's like, "You tried. Yeah, you good did job, okay." Kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it was it was good. It's always fun to see a woman's match. It's fun to see Luna. We only we see her pretty rarely. At one point, we'll probably be like, "We've had enough of her." But we're see, we're I, a little far out from the oddities. I get like that with Luna, or at least I used to. We'll see how I handle her as an adult, but. Yeah, it was always small doses. I was okay with her, but like here she wasn't too big. Matches, and I was yeah. like, all right, I'm good. Like her, her ECW stint there. It was because the tapes were all cut the way that they were. But it was like she was just. It was a silent. There was yeah. too much. But that she's playing less of the freak character yeah. that we kind of know her as from the she's late just more of an ass kicker. Yeah, here she's just yeah, like yeah, she's got a weird haircut and makeup and she makes ugly faces yeah. at the it was look what i can do in the ring instead yeah. of listen to how weird my voice sounds. <laughs> instead of how about everybody who calls me ugly that's a really nice thing to do mean gene is in the aisleway talking about the wcw hotline when he loses his train of thought as medusa walks by but recovers to tell us that there has been a change in talent coordination uh-oh basically kevin sullivan had been removed from creative so he could deal with his 
marital issues. Uh-oh. And someone could leave WCW. It's probably Disco Inferno. <laughs> All of a yet. sudden, the NWO music interrupts Oakland, and out comes Macho Man Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth, who takes Gene's mic and tells him to get lost before they head to the ring. And Macho name drops all of the NWO members, calling them the future, while a DDP chant breaks out among the crowd. So Savage tells them that Paige wants no more of him. All of a sudden, DDP emerges from the crowd with a bent crutch, driving Macho from the ring to regroup with the NWO in the aisleway. And Paige asks, what's the deal? Where's Hogan to sneak up behind him? Where are you going, Savage? Do you have a previous engagement? And DDP knows it's not with Kimberly or Liz, so he must be going to Hollywood's house to wash his car and kiss Hogan's ass. Pretty good DDP. Just getting over more and more every month, and now he's cutting good promos. Mm-hmm. On the king of the promo. <laughs> and Macho tells everyone to step aside before entering the ring. So Paige starts beating him down with a crutch. When the rest of the NWO would get the same until Scott Norton attacks the injured ribs of DDP, allowing the rest to pounce when the giant would come running out to clear the ring. Paul White, <laughs> the giant, is looking pretty great in his uh, Lex shirt. And yeah, it's, it's nice to be excited to see the giant. But uh, that Lex shirt is such a good shirt too. Where it looks like a, it's like a painting of him putting somebody in a torture. Right? WCW, not the kings of quality looking merchandise, but so I, I noticed a good one. When they hit it, they hit it. Yeah, they got that. I mean, yeah, I don't think anybody bought this thing, but you know, they sold enough NWO shirts. Not if the giant was wearing it. <laughs> so we go to our third match Yuji Yasakura versus Rey Mysterio Jr. And Tanae is back for this match to tell us all about Yashakura, who is from the War Promotion. Okay, yeah. I don't know if I caught that, but I was like, who is this guy? He's from War. He's from War. Yeah, we're familiar with uh, War to the extent of... Uh, that it is a Japanese promotion. Yeah, yes. we've seen him, We've seen a little bit of it in... Because um, they had, like, no pun intended, a New Japan War, like, yeah. crossover... War Super J Cup, yeah. The second one was a war promotion, yeah. And then the we've there was a probably a January 4th show we watched where they were very heavily featured. So, our two competitors trade chin locks, leg locks, and sleepers to start until Yuji hits a suplex, multiple scoop slams, a clothesline, and a spinning heel kick for a two count. Mysterio with a back body drop and a hurricanrana that sends Yasakura to the floor. Followed by Ray attempting to leap over the top rope. But the ref is in the way. So Mysterio tries again, this time just leaping over Mark Curtis with a somersault plancha onto Yuji. I mean, fun spot. Yep. This guy going to stop Ray from jumping out of the (laughs) ring. Don't you know what you're getting into? Jeez, man. Get the fuck out of the way, Mark. Back in the ring, Ray keeps up the attack with a drop toe hold and locking on a camel clutch before springboarding off the ropes, only to be met by a spinning heel kick from Yasakura, making the cover for a near fall. And Yuji starts working the arm of Mysterio with arm bars and cross arm breakers, 
ramming him shoulder first into turnbuckles before delivering a clothesline for a two count. And Ray rolls out to the floor to escape the punishment. But Sakura just flies out with a top rope crossbody before rolling Mysterio back in to nail a vertical suplex for a near fall. And the crowd is not into this. I was like, hmm, I guess they've seen Ultimo, but they like Ray. I was just kind of, just kind of. Yeah, I don't know how much oh, Yasakura was around during Nothing. this time. So yeah, I think I he had shown up on the Saturday night before the show. Okay, yeah, so yeah, then so... it's more of a who the fuck is this guy and yeah. why am I paying money to see him on a pay-per-view? Yeah, but the match is good. But I guess Ultimo, Ultimate, the Ultimate Dragon has been featured pretty heavily over the last year. Yuji charges into a boot in a corner, allowing Ray to change the momentum with a split-legged moonsault for a two-count, followed by a roll-up attempt, only for Yasakura to drop down for a cover of his own for an airfall. Now back to their feet, Mysterio ducks a spinning heel kick and hits a powerbomb. Heads to the top, coming off with a splash, only for Yuji to move in time. Yasakura hits a double-arm DDT for a two-count which leads to him arguing with the ref before going for another DDT, but Ray counters it into a bridging Northern Light suplex for a near fall. Yuji reverses a whip and charges into a corner, only for Mysterio to avoid, leading to Yasakura going up top, where he comes off, but Ray dropkicks Yuji in midair, followed by going out to the apron to leap back in with a springboard hurricanrana for the pin. And, and the win. win. Post-match, Mysterio looks at the camera and has words for all the Japanese wrestlers. Yeah, he says no Japanese is going to come here and intimidate the Mexican and American wrestlers. We are the best. God, racist. It's <laughs> like, what's your deal, man? But we go to our fourth match. Mortis with James Vandenberg versus Glacier. And since the last time we saw these two guys fight, Vandenberg had stolen Glacier's helmet, using it to attack the Cold One along with Mortis's staff. And during their entrance, James threatens to send Glacier back to his igloo in a body bag. The entrances and everything, they're still doing this, and like, I'm not particularly mad at it no matter how dumb it is it's kind of fun and it's something different on the card i mean if they're gonna put quality into something i'm glad you know we at least have good entrances because this is hey this is a step a couple steps above uh oz (laughs) it's not saying much but i mean i don't know i think this is fun and i'm not typically normally into like the extra goofy gimmicks yeah this is like Vinny Vegas meets the Diamond Stud level of cool. Hey guys, Mortal Kombat was just fucking eating quarters. Oh yeah, Mortal Kombat was, for sure. <laughs> These guys were drawing <laughs> probably dimes. So the cold one rushes the ring. So Mortis just starts beating him down even as the snow continues to fall. Focusing on the knee. Mortis then calls out Wrath to come help. Posing on the turnbuckles allowing Glacier to lift him up for an electric chair drop, followed by a clothesline and a back body drop. See, I'm having a good time here already, guys. They're doing big boy moves. And there was snow! One more clothesline sends Mortis over the ropes, bringing Wrath in to attack the Cold One with the staff from behind, causing a disqualification. Boo! I take it all back! 
Post-match, <clears throat> Wrath is choking Glacier, followed by elbows and kicks, before sending the cold one out to the floor, where Mortis drives Glacier into the ring steps with a rocker dropper. Damn it, Adam. Look what you did. And the punishment continues inside the ring where Vandenberg slaps the cold one before Wrath tries for an Uranagi. Only for a fan to run into the ring and nail Mortis and Wrath with several spin kicks. Yeah, I had to look at my TV a couple times. Like, wait, he's here now? Big roundhouse kick and, you know, he's doing some kung fu-ass moves. Security comes in, but then the commentators realize that they recognize him. Who can it be? Who can it's it be? Ernest Miller, the current world karate champion. Everybody knows who that is. I didn't. I didn't either. I knew it wasn't I mean, a fan as soon as the guy started doing karate I moves. did when I watched it now, but yeah. back then, no. No fucking clue. Vandenberg yells out, You just opened Pandora's box! As his group makes their way to the back. Meow. So does that mean, like... Or is that we're going to get a Ernest and Glacier tag team? <laughs> like, this Glacier Mortis thing's been going on for a minute. Yeah. I, I give it props for not being like anything else on the show. I mean, And everyone's doing a good job with what they're doing, but it is silly. But wrestling has room for silly. Yeah. I promise. <laughs> Skeletor had evil in. Mortis has wrath. He-Man had battle cat. Glacier has... Ernest Miller. It Dove makes cat. perfect sense. Ernest the Cat Miller. <laughs> mean Gene's in the highway again, and he's hoping to talk to Miller or one of the <laughs> lovely ring attendants. Bet he was. But none come to talk to him, so he just plugs the hotline again. Oh, nuts. But we then go to our fifth match. Jeff Jarrett with Deborah McMichael versus Dean Malenko for the WCW United States Championship. That's a pay-per-view-worthy match if I've ever heard of one. Mm -hmm. So we get a feeling-out process between the two when Dean would gain control to work the knee, hitting a drop kick against the guardrail. And these are, these, yeah, people are behind Malenko. Jarrett immediately gets the uh, sucks chant. Now back in the ring, Jarrett drop kicks Malenko and applies an ab stretch, using Deborah and the ropes as extra leverage until Dean is able to escape hit some knee lifts, and attempt an ab stretch of his own. But they stumble their way into the corner for Malenko to stomp away, sending Double J out to the floor to regroup. And Jarrett returns only to be sent into a corner chest first, followed by a back suplex for a two count. Malenko then whips Double J once again, but he charges into a big boot, followed by Jarrett charging out to nail a swinging neckbreaker and goes for the figure four. But Dean whacks away on the knee to counter. Malenko then goes for the Texas Cloverleaf, only for Double J to cradle him up for a two count. But Dean regains control to try again, with Jarrett making the ropes, so Malenko catapults him into the bottom rope. Uh, spot that I really rarely get tired of. Double J manages to send Dean out to the floor, following out to toss Malenko into a guardrail and a not-so-rubber-band slam, before returning to the ring from the top rope with a crossbody. But Dean uses the momentum to roll through and on top for a near fall. Malenko then reverses a whip to send Jarrett to a corner, where he leaps up and over a charging Dean and locks on a sleeper. 
So Malenko backs Double J into a corner to escape, applying a sleeper of his own, which Jared escapes with a knee breaker and locks on the figure four. Great spot. He trips him, like, standing trip into the, yeah, it was seamless. Dean is about to make the ropes to force a break, but Double J stays on the attack by whipping Malenko to a corner, only for him to leap up, which Jarrett catches him momentarily, until Dean can slip free and shove Double J into a corner, where he ends up bouncing backwards for the two men to knock noggins, sending Jarrett out to the floor. Mongo then makes his way down to the ring, rolling Double J back in, allowing Malenko to deliver a double underhook powerbomb and apply the Texas Cloverleaf for the submission and And the the win. win. Well, that didn't really go the way I thought it was going to, but then it kind of did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like Mongo comes out and is like, hey, he can take care of himself to Deborah because she's still coming out with Jarrett. You would think she learned her lesson, but it is what it is. And uh, Dean Malenko... Scoops the win because of it. But Dean and Jared had great chemistry. Yes. The in-ring, it was wonderful. And I didn't hate the finish. Two consummate professionals. I didn't hate the finish until stuff that happens later in the show. Yeah. We'll talk about it when we get yeah. Same. So we go to our sixth match. Ming with Jimmy Hart versus Chris Benoit with Woman. In a death match. Ooh, that's a horrible name for a match featuring a couple of these people. But hey, I love to see Ming on the on a pay-per-view in a singles match. That's cool. So the rules of this match are that you win when your opponent can no longer continue. I think it's a ten count, right? Like total death match rules. Basically. Yeah. So Ming sends Jimmy to the back on his entrance. While you can tell that Woman is very concerned for Chris, as Tony tells us that Benoit made her promise to not throw in the towel. And we get kicks, dragon screw leg whips, and missed big boots shared between the two until the crippler is knocked out of the ring. But back inside, Ming nails a belly-to-belly suplex that sees Chris get up at five and retaliate with a released German. I mean, hell yeah, dude. And Benoit goes after the knee with a drop kick and looks to apply a figure four. But Ming kicks the crippler in the face to send the fight out to the floor. And Ming chops away, but Chris responds by drop toe holding the big man head first into the ring steps. They trade strikes after returning to the ring, when Jacqueline would make her way down the aisle momentarily. This bitch. <laughs> when Ming ducks a clothesline and delivers one of his own followed by headbutts and a half-crab, forcing Benoit to make the ropes. More headbutts and chops until Ming plants the crippler with a pile driver that gets a seven count. Now back to his feet, Chris ducks a clothesline and takes Ming down into a crossface, forcing the big man to crawl his way to the ropes. Once back to their feet, they trade strikes again, with Benoit yelling to give him more. So he gets clubbed down to the mat and into a corner, where Ming misses a big boot, allowing the crippler to hit a pair of German suplexes. Ming slows the momentum with a back elbow and chops, only for Chris to take the big man again into the crossface, forcing Ming to crawl his way to the ropes. 
and out to the floor. Benoit then flies through the ropes with a tope suicida before they roll back in with the crippler headed up top, only for Ming to knock his feet out from under him, causing him to crotch himself. The big man then climbs up, but Chris floats over and connects with a German suplex, goes back to the top turnbuckle and leaps off for a flying headbutt, but Ming catches him with the tongue and death grip on his way down. <sighs> Benoit tries to punch his way free, as Woman gets on the apron to plead with the crippler to quit. But he shakes his head no, before just passing out from the pain, forcing the ref to call for the stoppage and the win. It's, this was, like, the, both these guys fucking brought it, mm-hmm. and they looked awesome and intense. Like, the Tope Suicida is not the same Tope Suicida we see in most matches these days. Benoit really launches himself out there like Darby Allen, but what if there was two Darby Allens? <laughs> um, but the why did it have to be a death match? The rules, like they didn't do anything too violent, and like the ref was still breaking them up. But yeah. hey, um, you know, I, you rarely see people like look this intense in a wrestling ring, so. What am I crying about? Yeah, complete with the sound effects of woman on the outside doing her screaming, hooting, hollering. Yeah. No! <laughs> and I did like the, if you're going to have the submission finish, like, that was a fun and interesting one. Catching him by the throat, like, as he comes down, I'm just, like, holding it so tight in the hole and falls like down. I have seen this before. Oh, yeah, it was Mankind catching Rocky with the oh, claw. you're right. Like, literally last week. Well, I don't associate any of these guys, so <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm just happy for me. Come on. But that is a incredible point, Matt. Good catch, good catch. So Tony sends us to a commercial for the Great American Bash, where we see DDP, Kimberly, and the Steiners at a backyard barbecue. As a narrator says, the Bash will have plenty of meat to sink your teeth into. Wank, wank. Yeah, I love the. They're playing like the Pulp Fiction, like, like yeah, 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 like that style of surf uh, guitar. It looks like a great party. Scott asks if we want a hot dog, but Rick knocks it out of his hand with a bottle of mustard. Pageant says, "This ain't no picnic, monkey boy." Before Kimberly says, "It's the Great American Bash," followed by DDP yelling, "Bang!" WCW presents Great American Bash, June fifteenth. Call your local cable provider. Yeah, it was uh, well, actually it's yeah, yeah. twenty seven years ago. Yeah, I mean, you, you should call your local cable provider just just to make sure that they're okay. <laughs> they don't get phone calls as much anymore because everything is done by the push of a button. Mm-hmm. So you know, just call and say hi. But it was a fun commercial. We don't get. It's always nice when you get one that's like not too goofy, and this was all faces at the party. I wanted to hang out with those guys. Yeah. I want so to we... drink a beer with Rick. That's right. I want a hot dog from Scott. <laughs> 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 so we go to our seventh match. Conan and Hugh Morris with Jimmy Hart versus the Steiner brothers of Rick and Scott Steiner. Sounds like WCW needs some more tag teams. Mm-hmm. 
So the storyline behind this match was that the dungeon had attacked the Steiners during a match with Public Enemy, which also led to a dungeon versus Public Enemy match, where Morris had accidentally put Conan through a table. Okay. That accidentally. some stuff. I was also wondering, as this match started, that was my thought was, huh, we got Conan and Hugh Morris, where's Public Enemy? Because you know, they are still somewhat of a... A newer team in WCW? Yeah, who knows. But I mean, I guess that would probably be a little better, but I could also see the Steiners being like, we're not fucking going to work a singles match with the public enemy. But who knows? I don't know. So Scott and Hugh start us off with Morris gaining control after pulling the hair until Scott battles back to hit a belly-to-belly suplex. Rick comes in where Hugh clubs away, followed by a corner splash. He tries for another, only for Rick to avoid and connect with a belly-to-belly suplex. Rick then hits several Steiner lines before coming off the top with another Steiner line to send Morris bailing out to regroup. And Conan tags in to face Rick, only to receive another Steiner line, (laughs) a released German, and multiple arm drags for a two-count. And Scott returns, but he runs into a big boot only to respond with an overhead belly-to-belly suplex, sending Conan to his corner to tag in Hugh, who connects with a swinging neckbreaker after Jimmy Hart trips Steiner. And Morris continues with a gorilla press slam onto the ropes, followed by Conan getting some cheap shots in from the floor. And the challengers are doing quick tags to see Conan nail a rolling thunder lariat, and both men working the arm of Scott until Hugh misses a clothesline as Conan is holding Steiner, sending him tumbling out to the floor as Rick low bridges the ropes, also allowing Scott to deliver another overhead belly-to-belly suplex to Conan. Those release belly-to-bellies, I love them. And Morris comes back in where he leaps off the second rope, only to be met with a big boot from Scott, who then makes the crawl to the corner for the... Hot tag! Woo! Rick cleans house with Steiner lines and power slams, knocking Conan out of the ring before backdropping and second rope bulldogging Hugh for a near fall as Conan makes the save. And a pier six breaks out, with Rick and Conan being whipped into each other, followed by Morris hitting a clothesline on Rick. Oh, we haven't been to the pier in forever. Scott tosses Conan from the ring while Hugh heads up top where he comes off with no laughing matter. But Rick has moved, so Scott then whips Morris to the ropes and delivers the Frankensteiner, with Rick making the cover for the pin. And and the the win. win. And old Scotty's getting a little too big for that Frankensteiner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the, uh, it's also Hugh Morris, so, you know, he's a pretty big boy too. It's still impressive that, you know, he does a moonsault, but I feel like, Everybody does moonsault, <laughs> so it's like one of those things, diminishing returns. This is not like when Muda pulled out a moonsault in like '88 or whatever. But when it's a guy that size doing it, it still it still is impressive. But I forgot that, that he did that until because you know we don't see Hugh Morris every week. But this was fine. It was nice to see the Steiners as always. Post match, Conan is pissed off and he begins to walk away, shaking his head in disgust. Disgust but returns to the ring to admonish Hugh for not tagging him. Conan then goes to hug Morris, 
but instead drop kicks and DDTs him down. With Jimmy Hart yelling, You said blood in, blood out! But Conan just ignores him and walks away. Short-lived friendship. Conan's a lone wolf now. That's right. He's free of the dungeon. Hopefully. So we head to our eighth match. Steve Mongo McMichael with Deborah versus Reggie White with Kent Johnston. His strength coach. Yep. Just letting you know. So the story behind this match was that Reggie was in the front row of a Nitro. So Mongo confronted him, calling White a sellout for leaving the Eagles to go to the Packers. You mean the and even fo- spitting on him. The football player that left his team to go to the WCW? I think he was already retired from was he? football. Okay. I don't know. My assumption is he had an injury and then trained while they had him on commentary for a year or two. So the next week, Reggie would show back up, stealing away the briefcase before McMichael could use it as a weapon. That goddamn briefcase. But the Mongo committed the biggest sin of all. Uh-oh. He insulted the people of Wisconsin. No way. Cheeseheads. I guess that's not really a, a diss. And White couldn't abide. So this match is on. That's right. I'm gonna fuck you up. You leave my people alone. So as you mentioned, Ken Johnson is Reggie's strength coach, while Reggie White is a pro football and college football Hall of Famer, and is now second on the all-time sack leader list in the NFL. Who beat him? Beat his record? Uh, I don't remember who beat him, but he was first whenever he retired. Yeah. Uh, we also have seen him before, as he accompanied Lawrence Taylor at WrestleMania 11, LT. episode 147. Come on, I mean, I I don't know a whole lot about uh, football, but I know the name Reggie White, so it means that he was a star. If I know their name, it means that they were a star at some point. And see, (laughs) as I was watching this, I wasn't paying attention to the names, and my first thought was, well, that's not Kevin Green, because that was the only name I could think of. That's not Kevin Green, no. So our two men shove each other around, trading headlocks and shoulder blocks, with Reggie getting the first takedown which pisses McMichael off. So he dares White to get into a three-point stance. And Reggie does it, allowing Mongo to nail a chop block. But White wants to go again, with McMichael again trying for the cheap shot. But Reggie dodges, sending Mongo out to the floor, who decides to just bail at this point and, and walk down the aisleway. But Gilbert Brown, one of White's Packers teammates would come down the aisle. So McMichael goes to swing the briefcase, only for Gilbert to duck and pick Mongo up on his shoulders and return him to the ring. Go, Pat, go. Reggie with a drop kick for a two count, but McMichael controls momentarily with an arm lock until White hits a clothesline to send Mongo out to the floor. Now back in the ring, Reggie controls with a headlock when McMichael clips the knee again to escape followed by a side slam, only to then miss a leg drop, allowing White to run the ropes and hit a crossbody for a near fall. Is that before or after oh, Mongo looks at the mic, looks at the camera and says, Jesus may have your soul, but, but I've got your ass, ass now. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, that's... <clears throat> 
Reggie's nickname was the Minister of Defense because he was actually an ordained minister as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Makes a little bit more sense, but the, the ass now thing is just well, like... Well, no wonder yeah. that line registered with me because I'm also an ordained minister, but I'm <laughs> gay, so... The, uh, the, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just assumed he was religious if he said the Jesus thing, but... Yeah, when he said that, I had to rewind that mm. and then I wrote it down in my notes because yeah. I'm like, I'm going to possibly use this yeah. as my name. But I've got your ass now is just... It's like, <laughs> Yeah. I guess he's better than your ass is mine. Reggie then locks on a nerve hole. The nerve of him. Well, I mean, Mongo does have a lot of nerve, so... But Mongo makes the ropes, and Mule kicks White, followed by locking on a half-crab, forcing Reggie to make the ropes. And the two trade turnbuckle smashes before McMichael goes back to the knee, looking to apply the figure four. But White kicks him out of the ring. Mongo climbs back in to the top turnbuckle. But Reggie meets him there to power slam him down to the mat. But he can't capitalize because of the hurt leg. Oh no. And Michael makes it back to his feet and they trade punches in a corner until White nails an atomic drop and multiple clotheslines that sends Mongo over the ropes to the floor. But Michael drags Reggie out to continue the fight. And White sends Mongo into a railing before returning to the ring, where they continue to trade strikes until Michael goes for a suplex, only for Reggie to block and reverse into one of his own. White then follows up with a splash in the middle of the ring, making the cover, but Deborah is on the apron, distracting the ref. Reggie then gets up to confront the ref, allowing Mongo to grab the briefcase. But Gilbert Brown is on the apron and grabs it away from McMichael. Mongo then grabs Mark Curtis to tell him that Gilbert has the briefcase. So the ref goes to admonish him. When Jeff Jarrett would run out and toss McMichael another briefcase to whack White over the back. Making the cover for the pin. And And the the win. Post-match, the horsemen celebrate. While Mongo says, a cheesehead could never beat a Chicago Bear. Yeah, and everybody in South Carolina really cares. Mm-hmm. I've noticed throughout the show that the figure four it gets attempted like consistently, but has it been locked on at this point? Nope. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just making sure. Often Con- imitated. Like, yeah. Never duplicated. Exactly. So... That's nice. Building too. It's one of those things like, is game. it better if they can't get it on, or you just don't see it at all until it happens? I don't know. But either way, at least they were intelligent about it. But as we mentioned earlier, why the ending of the Jarrett Malenko match is kind of lame is because Mongo throws Jarrett into the ring for him to get pinned. But then he comes out and helps Bongo in this match? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I thought he was going to do some kind of swerve I did or too. whatever. I was just like, wait, what? I guess they really... It cost you the match. Why would you come yeah. out and help him? I guess they really are relying on that like big brother, little brother thing that they said at one point. But that just seems so counterintuitive for wrestling. Maybe it's going somewhere. Who knows? But... I'm also going to say this match went about... Four to five minutes too long. Yes. Yes, because it wasn't great, but it wasn't 
the worst thing I've ever seen. But if it was, was a little shorter, it would have been expecting, way worse. I'll, I'll tell you right now, this is probably one of my surprises of the night that I didn't hate the match. Yeah. It was that, too long. That Mongo led a match. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what I have in my notes. Is your same sentiment where I was like, oh, like I'd also kind of expected Reggie to win, but then I was like, well, he doesn't play football in, in this state, so yeah, what does it matter? So we go to our ninth match. Six and the Outsiders of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash versus Kevin Green. There he is. Roddy, Roddy Piper, and the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. And the story behind this match was tradition versus disrespect. So maybe this is where that tradition continues thing is all about. As the NWO would claim that Flair's team didn't care for the new generation. That they had paved a road full of potholes and leaving the business in a funk. And over the course of the next few weeks, flyers and banners would be seen in the arenas that would say, Tradition Bites. Hmm. But how big of a... How many, like, they they weren't the only ones that did it, but they tank uh, this company a few years later. <laughs> So it's like, well, come on, guys! You know, you didn't learn anything. Because they went away from tradition. Yeah, I'm talking out, yeah, <laughs> talking out, yeah, talking out one side of your mouth. So Michael Buffer makes our announcements. So let's get ready to have a super match for pride and glory. Ooh. Can I get like power and glory instead? You want power and glory instead? Yes, that'd be more fun than. Some of these people <laughs> in this match. Hey, Kevin Green gets a huge pop, guys. He does. As yeah. he should. Buffer also mentions that our NWO group has started calling themselves the Wolfpack. Yeah. Mm. It's not, it's not the separate faction yet. Just uh, those three guys within the NWO group. Yeah, um, uh, what's his name? Macho refers to the Wolfpack in his promo earlier in the night, too. So that was the first time I actually heard them say Wolfpack. I was like, okay. Got another thing to trademark. And so the last time we saw Kevin Green was at Great American Bash 96, episode 205. And the last time the Nature Boy was in a match was at Fall Brawl 96, episode 220. Been out a little while. Yeah, not a full year, but long enough. Tony also points out that Nate won the WCW title in this building in 1993. Pummeling a big man into submission that night, never to be seen again. Which isn't true. No, it's not true. As Flair won with a roll-up, and Vader stayed until 95 with the company. Hmm. <laughs> you big liar, Shivani. Yeah, I didn't even yeah, say his name. Talk about disrespect. I was like, yeah, it's like, well, yeah. If he went off Barry Windham, if it was his win off Barry Windham, it would have made a little more sense. But Barry Windham still gets seen again. But chances are, most people didn't see Barry Windham show back up. Barry Windham was never the same after that. <laughs> no, he, after that. He never quite had his own name. He was a stalker. He was a... Executioner? Uh, no, that was Terry Gordy, right? Uh, uh, a blackjack. So the kid and the nature boy start us off with shoulder blocks, chops, and kicks until Nate backdrop six. I mean, the first chop from Nate. Crowd goes nuts. It's just so nice to hear. 
People excited for Flair. He just starts giving chops to everybody. Yep. Calling out Nash. But Scott tags in instead. So the Nature Boy brings in Green, who does some drills to pump himself up. And Hall just spits at Green and tags out to Nash, who shoves Green and delivers several knee lifts and elbows in a corner. Before we get too far, guys, did you see Ric Flair dance around and then hump the air? I did not. <laughs> I mean, that's what he does. I know, but it's, I guess it's just been a while. The hump, the, the hump the air. It's like the strut, but the air hump. I was like, Jesus. Ew. The flare, the flare air hump is stronger in flare country, I guess. Man loves to hump. Green ducks a clothesline and fires up with a shoulder tackle. A leaping clothesline and a body slam that sends Nash out to the floor. Before also clotheslining the rest of the wolf pack as they attempt to attack from behind. Sending them all out to regroup. I love the Kevin chant, but uh, it's for Kevin Green, and there's two Kevins. <laughs> Scott enters the ring and wants a piece of Piper, mocking him and slapping his hip. So Roddy just slaps him in the face before nailing several strikes to the midsection. And Hall telegraphs a back body drop, so Piper hits a knee lift, only for Scott to back Roddy into his corner for multiple strikes and double teams. But Piper fights his way out with right hands to everybody before dropping Hall with a neckbreaker. I love the WCW team is feeling it. Everybody is like high energy, feeding off the crowd, excited to be there, and uh, they're sassy as hell. Like, Kevin Green is so excited that can't even be mad at him. Nash is distracting the ref, allowing Six to sneak in and nail Roddy from behind with a kick to the hip. So the Wolfpack start working that leg and hip, with Scott going for a figure four. Only for Piper to kick him off face first into a turnbuckle. Roddy leaps to his corner to tag in Nate, who cleans house with right hands and chops. Only for Hall to slow the momentum with a poke to the eyes and whip him to the corner for a flare flip to the apron. Where he goes up to the top rope, leaping off, only to be caught by Scott for a fallaway slam. Hall then clotheslines Nate over the ropes to the floor, where the wolf pack look to attack, only for Green to tackle the kid down. And Flair's rolled back in where Scott makes a cover with leverage for a two count, before tagging in Nash who delivers snake eyes, chokes, and a boss man straddle on the ropes, followed by a side slam. Hall returns with a clothesline in a corner, before Six connects with a bronco buster and taunting the crowd. But the Nature Boy fights back with chops, only for the kid to send Nate to his corner, so the Wolfpack can double team for a near fall. And Flair reverses a whip, only for Six to come back off the ropes to collide with the Nature Boy, landing on top for a two count before both men tag out. And Piper goes after everybody, but the ref didn't see his side of the tag. So even Randy Anderson gets knocked down by Roddy. Leading to a Pier 6. Ref bump. Pissed. Green backdrop 6, taking him to the corner with several shoulder tackles before clotheslining him over to the floor. And Nick Patrick has come down to check on Anderson, while Nate low blows Scott and starts going after him with right hands and chops, until Nash can club a flare from the apron. And Hall goes for the outsider's edge. Calling in Patrick, 
but the nature boy counters to lock on the figure four in the middle of the ring. <sighs> and the crowd goes wild. The crowd's been going wild the whole match. Nash starts to make his way into the ring, only for Green to jump back and chop blocking, allowing Pipe to apply a sleeper on Nash, taking him all the way down to the mat. Green then grabs six for a running power slam, making a cover while Scott's shoulders are also down for the pins and, and the wins. I mean, great finish. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, it's that you can tell it, you can tell exactly what's happening, and it looks great in the ring. Now is this where Eric Bischoff runs down and says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, no, no, no! You don't get this win. Give it back." <laughs> There's no belt on. Or the next. He's day. actually suspended still. Oh. Yeah, yeah, they talk about it on the commentary at some point. But post match, Flair, Roddy, and Green celebrate. While Shivani says, "When they wake up." Tell them tradition does not bite. Which gets a good laugh out of Dusty. (laughs) Tradition kicks your ass is what it does. Tony then says his goodbyes and we go to credits. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Slamboree 97? It was fine. It was absolutely fine. I liked the finish of the main event. The main event was... A like spectacle and a love letter to Ric Flair and Roddy Piper with the added bonus of a hometown football guy to just get the crowd even more excited. But I don't know that it's necessary. But there's some good matches on the show. There's some great wrestling on the show. But just not a lot of it feels very important. Very much that. It just... I mean, I'm always... Always down for a Hogan free show. Don't get me wrong. But this one was like free of too much. There there wasn't enough big name. There wasn't enough it's 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 slamboree. Yeah, you know, there wasn't enough big slams, there wasn't enough big action. It just kinda of felt like Monday Night Raw got a little bit longer for the week, or, uh, or yeah. Nitro, sorry. Yeah, like a, re- um, a really good Nitro. Yeah, it just, there wasn't anything over-the-top special. If I, I was going to say, if I was around at this time, I was around at this time. I didn't get this show, but if I was in the area, I don't know if I would have wanted to go to this show, because... It's not a marquee match. I don't care about mm. Kevin Green and Reggie White and all of these guys, you know, yeah. It's like Flair returning it. In South Carolina, after almost a year off, it's like, yeah, if you live in Flair country, you're going to want to go to that, but you might want to see a little bit more, but it's him and Piper, and then it's like, oh, well, it's Kevin Green, football star, who plays for our team, so. And say, I don't. Yeah, exactly. Kevin Green's a guy that shows up in wrestling and annoys me. (laughs) Same, but I think he, I think he, uh. He played the part better this time than he did the last time that they showed him. He he brought the energy. He may have been uh, inspired by some flare powder. It's not a (laughs) must-see show for me. It wasn't the worst show that I've seen, but it was just one of those. No way to It's like, eh, what really happened? Yeah, it sounds like we're all kind of right there on the same page. I mean. Really great in-ring stuff. it, It was hard to find a reason for some of these matches. Like, they were just have this match on and that's what I think makes it feel like it would have made for a clash like it, it feels like a good clash of the champions type show yeah with Donna but you would need more 
champion matches. Yeah. But still, I know what you mean. The wrestling, I didn't think anything was bad, but nothing rises above like the average mark. Yeah. For me. I mean, is the best match the first match? It might be. I mean, technically, yes, but I think I mean the main event's probably the most fun match. I mean, yeah, for sure. I can I can get behind you with that. I'm just saying, you know, I mean like Technically, obviously, Ultimate Warrior versus Steven Regal is going to be the I mean, technically, probably match. my favorite one was Ming and Benoit, but that's just because that's two dudes just, like, hitting the shit out of each other. I mean, other that one is prob- each other way. probably my favorite as well because they both just were seeing daggers through each other and selling it well and hitting harder than we typically see in a WCW match. Yeah. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. I think it's time we spark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Jesus may have your soul, but I got your ass now. Um, leave it, yeah. Leave it to WCW to have a show that makes me want to quote Steve McMichael. No shit. Uh, put that as best moments and most surprising because I'm quoting Steve fucking Mongo fucking McMichael. Uh, DDP holding his own. Uh, with a good promo and uh, fending off the NWO was a highlight, I feel like. They gave it a, a spot on a pay-per-view to continue to push DDP, who's just been slowly getting over for a long time, and it's presenting as a top guy, and now he just needs to do some top guy shit, but people are behind him. I mean, as I just mentioned, Ming and Benoit just kind of going ham against each other. Yeah, I loved every was, second of that. I mean, it reminded me so much of like a New Japan strong style type match between them two. Cause... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I did, they were they were laying it in. They, they don't, were okay it, it with takes, laying it in. Benoit loses nothing in that match because he passes out. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's and sad. it also makes Ming look better than they've made Ming look in forever. I mean, I think everyone knows that Ming's just a badass to begin. Yeah, exactly. But the it he he'll there's like one or once or twice a year we'll get like a really great like Ming match or a really great Ming tag match. For the most part, he's just kind of floating around. But him and Benoit like think that it sucks that you need to elevate Ming because he's been so good for so long. But I felt like that he looked really great after this because he's normally an afterthought. I'm gonna give some credit to Reggie White. He didn't look like he, lo- looked, he didn't look like a lost sheep in the ring. He looked better than the first time we saw Kevin Green. And Kevin Green looks even better now this time. Yeah, exactly. Well. Yeah, Kevin Green like came in with the energy. He didn't look he didn't look or feel lost. He looked excited and stoked to do it. Probably. I mean, I don't remember if he were in South Carolina last time he showed up, but he was definitely probably. It would make sense, but it felt like he was feeling. He was definitely feeling himself. So he was more. still playing for the Carolina Panthers at this time. So yeah, he's definitely more comfortable, which made for an incredibly entertaining main event. Even though it's not, doesn't feel like it should be a pay per view main event. How about most disappointing? Jeff Jarrett cuckolding himself for the. McMichaels. Yeah. The, like, big brother, little brother thing doesn't work as well as two guys, like, slowly falling out. You know, Sting and, and Lex, we cared about. Mongo and Jarrett, we feel like they're just, like, on-again, off-again boyfriends at this point. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how they're 
that's how they're coming off. I mean, we had a couple matches here on this show that literally were just Filler. there to be uh, storyline movers with Glacier. Yeah, the this whole, is the whole Glacier Mortis match is literally just so Ernest Miller can debut. Yeah, it's literally the whole point of that match. What sucks is Steiner's I was... and Conan. Yeah, that match is literally just so Conan can turn on the dungeon and turn face. That's literally the only reason that match is there. Yeah, and so it's kind of like Steiner's have to be sitting there going, "Why the fuck did we get pulled into this shit?" Yeah, I mean they showed up, but the Steiner's. I feel like they could do a clothesline and take a shit in the ring, and I'd probably be like, "Well, I'm glad I saw the Steiner's." And the Glacier Mortis thing, I was pretty hyped for the two seconds that the match was going, and then all of a sudden it ended. But I was like, because I don't think these guys are terrible workers, and it's silly, but they're both trying, and they're not like completely lost in the ring, and they have some fun move sets. But it didn't matter because it was just for Ernest, the Cat Miller. Yeah, see that whole storyline. It just seems out of place. Yeah, I mean it's I, it's pre it's Lucha Underground before pre before Lucha Underground. Yeah, I, mean, I I get Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, all that stuff was still big at the time there, but this is also the time frame where they're trying to move away from the comic book, yeah, carny acts and have a little more reality in there. And in the peak of all of the reality and everybody going by real names, you throw that you've in the got middle. Glacier and Mortis and Wrath and. Ernest the Cat Miller. Yeah, it's like Ernest the Cat Miller is the he's like he's here because of like Ken Shamrock on the other show or whatever. Where it's like, oh, we want a guy who is a like shoot badass that has a name in the field that they work in. I mean, Bischoff's a big karate guy, so yeah. that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. And we'll see him in a fucking gi more than more than a couple times. I, as I mentioned earlier. The Mongo Reggie match, it went about five minutes. Like, cause it, it felt like it was hitting its crescendo. Yeah. And it was about to turn into the finish. And then they, like, end up going to the outside and. Let's bring in. And, What's his and name? going for, like, three or four more minutes. And it was just kind of like, you guys hit the crescendo. Yeah. You could have gone to the. You should have gone to the finish right then. It was actually really fun up until that point. It's like, ah, you outstage, you're welcome. Yeah. It's important not to stay out. I'll say you're welcome, especially when you're not top in ring guys. And one of you is not even a wrestler. And the other one has improved. Not much of a But he's not much either. of a wrestler either. I have a best performer of the night. In ring, I'll probably go Regal. But I don't know. I just give it to put a crown on Ming and Ben. Actually, Benoit. Regal did a really but Regal good, was great. Regal did a really good job because this crowd actually, he was the heel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they were cheering Regal, mm-hmm. and so they played it up a little bit. He didn't go as hard into his heel stuff because yeah. of it, because he's a smart, smart man. Yeah, because he didn't have to. So I mean, Regal's a good, good shout. But uh, I mean, of course, I love that early grave hard style. So Megan Benoit, you don't see that a lot in the U.S. Uh, so that was nice, of course. Rick feeling himself this much because we've seen gassed Bender Rick plenty of times and it's nice to see him excited and rested and it helps that the crowd is hot I votes for Medusa's vest or 
Medusa's boulder Medusa's holder. Hot take. <laughs> I've never really found Medusa to be that attractive. She's a pretty lady, but you know. I thought she was better looking before she started having all the stuff done. I agree with she that was, completely. She was a beautiful, a I naturally literally, beautiful I literally woman. just rewatched uh, her with Rick Rude in Japan. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was yeah. like, she was super pretty back uh, then. And then, like, the more work she gets done, the less I'm, like, attracted to her. It's the uncanny valley of... You guys know what the uncanny valley is, right? Yeah, it's, it's that thing. It's like, yo, your brain just can't accept that that's a human anymore sometimes. It is what it is. I don't have the money to... And I never had the face in the first place to uh, start uh, trying to keep up my good looks with Botox, so it's hard for me to judge. But I think most people agree. I mean, some people, they they get lucky. They nail it. They What's her name from Dirty Dancing? Jennifer Grey. Oh, I liked her fucked up nose. She goes in, has a nose job, and she looks like a completely different person instead of just Jennifer Grey with a nose job. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there's... The- Poor Laura Flynn Boyle or Meg Ryan. It's like, yeah. Come on, guys. Courtney but, Cox. Uh, yeah. Also, we probably should just cut all of this out. Yeah. <laughs> We're just shitting on women right Well, no. Now. <laughs> it's, it's okay to have it in there because, I mean, a lot yeah. of them have even gone out and spoke about how they didn't realize how bad it was. And now they're going back and trying to yeah. take back their looks, get rid of all the fillers and all of that stuff to have more of a natural look again. It's a simply soap. I don't know what I'd do with a bunch of money. Yeah. And how about most surprising? That Mongo carried a match. Yep. Yep. And we, we, yeah. we said, we said yeah. it all ago. I mean, yeah, because I expected it to be just a complete fucking mess, yeah. and it absolutely wasn't a mess. I just figured it'd be a whole lot of interference and, and yeah. not really a match that was happening, just people standing around yelling. And It was a little long, and we saw the tricks. Like, the three-point stance segment is... It's smoke and mirrors, but it also makes sense in the context of what's happening so it, it's fine whoever plotted that out for Mongo good job and now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling the dusty finish Hiroshi Hase had defeated Rick Rude for the WCW International World Heavyweight Championship at the beginning of a tour in Japan but the Ravishing One had demanded a rematch on March 24th, 1994. The champ would swing Rude around and around in a giant swing, leaving both men dazed and struggling to get back to their feet. But once they were, the two competitors would trade clotheslines, followed by Hase Yorinagi and a pile driver. Hiroshi would head up top to nail a flying elbow drop and several more Yorinagis only to see the Ravishing One kick out. Hase kept up the attack with a body slam before climbing the ropes, when Rick's lovely manager would distract him, allowing Rude to knock Hase down and deliver a superplex. Make the cover, but Hiroshi would get a boot on the ropes. The Ravishing One would wear down Hase with a full Nelson face buster before applying a butterfly lock that would force Hiroshi to submit, making Rude a two-time champion. The Ravishing One would go on to feud with a former world champion back in the States. Hmm. Ah, I love Hiroshi Hase and Rick Rude. Yep. Did we ever find out who his uh, lovely manager was? Never could figure out who the lovely manager was. Yeah. 
That was his uh, Japan girl. I still just think that it was some girl he was dating and just like brought over to Japan and was like, hey, I'm a manager. Doesn't necessarily mean anything. (laughs) Rick Rude was known for being a good guy. The ravishing one is strictly a character. That's, he's, it's almost a shame because he's such an attractive man. He was that fucking good. He was that sweet, yeah, that sweet of a guy. Well, you know. They don't make them like that all the time, so I'm uh, glad to hear that about a wrestler we all truly love. Yeah, for those of uh, those of our listeners out there who may have seen this match, or if you want to check it out, you should, because if you have any idea who this lovely manager is, we'd really like to know, because we can't seem it was to figure on, it out. It was on YouTube or Daily Motion that I showed it to you? I think it's got to be on I YouTube. I looked it up on YouTube. It's probably got to okay. be on YouTube. It was on YouTube, then. So yeah, if you can, you can go out there and watch this it could have been part of this match. Yeah. Another theory is that it was uh, another wrestler's girlfriend that went over with them, and Rick Rude was working heel, so he just, she, needed, he just needed a man, some someone out there with him. Plus, he's Rick Rude. If he's going to be a heel, he needs uh, someone equally as attractive as him out there. Next week, best of Super Juniors. Four. I mean, it's... Kind of our favorite part of the year, typically. Kicking it off. I mean, it's always mine. It uh, is one of my favorite shows. So yeah. Here. So, honestly, listen, watch, watch it before we uh, come and talk about it, because uh, it's out there. You can find it on the internetarchive.com. There you go. So you don't even have to sell the high seeds for this one. <laughs> yeah, but and uh, the final is on Daily Motion. Yeah, I mean, it's best of the Super Juniors. Even if it's not as good as the previous years, it's still going to be some of the best in-ring wrestling we'll cover on this show until the next best of the Super Juniors, as far as consistency, match to match. Yep. So. New faces, old favorites. Yep. The, the tradition continues. <laughs> Absolutely. The best of Super Juniors. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> Music from this week's show is High Steppin' by John Hobbs and... Nature Boy got the pin. Yeah, it, it's it's just like it's literally disputed who actually. <laughs> the way I got viewed it was Kevin Green got the pin, but Scott, uh, Scott Hall's shoulders were on the mat. Yeah, that was Kevin. the way that I viewed it. Was Scott Hall got pinned because when Nick Patrick laid down to do the count, he was in front of Scott Hall. So we're gonna play Spotch Zarathustra. It's Rick's homecoming. So, and you know, who gets tired of that song? Mm-hmm. And if you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Come on. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns. Broken record here. I need some ideas. We're going to Japan. We don't get to go there as often, so shoot me some ideas. I'm always looking for... Philadelphia, because yeah, we're gonna end up back up there any any week now. Yeah, next time we get together, we could be covering multiple ECW shows for all we know. Uh, don't you put that ugly on me. Uh, I mean, Matt will let us know. <laughs> but yeah, slide into our DMs. Like I said, if you know who this lovely manager is of the ravishing Rick Rude, I'd like to know because. I'm one who has a, a, a big memory for a lot of people in wrestling, and I've seen her face. I've watched this clip again and again, and I can't figure it out, so help me. 
But you can send any of those things to our email at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on X at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Later. Bum, 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 bum. Hopefully it matches up at that point right there. <laughs> <laughs>